guess that's where the relationship side for me as a coach, and that's what we're developing as coaches with these players. Like life is so important outside of the sport you play that when when we prepare them, and that's how I, I talked to a few of them. Was, that's why we train them the way that we do. Life is going to throw these curveballs at you, and you've got to be ready to adapt and adjust. You're listening to the Tap into College Golf podcast, where we provide an inside look at the world of college golf. College recruiting consultant Brandy Jackson shares her knowledge of college recruiting, plus interviews with some of the most accomplished coaches and players in college golf. If you are ready to tap into the best tips, stories, and insight, then you've come to the right place. Here is your host, Brandy Jackson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Tap Into College Golf. This week is, um, or this episode I should say, is a, a little bit unique just because to catch a coach during this transition phase um, is hard to do because um, a little a little crazy when you're going um, from one coaching position to another and I know life is a little bit crazy so I'm really excited to have a friend of mine who I've known for years now who um just accepted the position at Kent State as the new women's head golf coach. And literally this just happened within, uh, I guess, a week. Um, so it's been a little crazy in her life, but was kind enough to jump on and chat with me a little bit and actually share about that transition while it's really just kind of fresh for her. So excited to have Coach Lisa Strom join me. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Brandy. Good, good. Well, let's, like I said, I know your time is extremely precious right now. Um, as we were just talking about before we started, you know, selling a house, buying a house, um, a lot going on. Um, so we'll try to um, keep it kind of short and sweet. But at the same time, I know when you and I sometimes get together, we can talk about all kinds of stuff. So um, and excited to hear your insight. I mean, I know, um, you know, going back to the days when you were playing at Ohio State and, and I was at Furman and then we had kind of similar times with playing out on tour and then you went into um, you know the assistant there at Ohio State for about five and a half years and have been at Texas State for about three years um, and you know I've loved keeping up with a lot, a lot of what you do and then how just dedicated everything you are so excited to get some insight from you so um, tell me I guess a little bit like I said you know we can kind of talk a little bit about background but just start a little bit from the beginning and then we'll talk a little bit about this transition and then just a, a little bit about some of your insight as a college coach but um came out of playing went and you were went back to Ohio State as the assistant there um for your coach coach Therese there and for about five and a half years and then was a head coach at Texas State so just a little bit about what made you want to get into college coaching and come out of playing and then how that transition was yeah, you know, I think like you and I both um, had aspirations of playing on tour and probably retiring after a great career and winning multiple times and a major championship, and that was our dream. But, you know, life's kind of funny, and timing, I think, is so important in life. And it ended up that um, a former teammate of mine, and she was a current assistant at Ohio State, was uh, getting out of coaching. She had gotten married and was going to be starting a family, and her husband was coaching at the time as well. So just you know, they were transitioning into a different, different way of doing things. And she had reached out to me saying, you know, Hey, I think you'd be really um, a great option if, if Teresa's is looking to hire a new assistant. So I thought, well, you know, I'm still playing golf and I don't really know if that's for me, but I'll look into it. So, you know, Teresa and I had some great conversation. I actually saw the team out in California that February and this was back in 2011. And, and you know, the LPGA tour at that time was not at its peak as far as opportunities and, and players that, at that level where I was, mm -hmm. weren't exempt into a lot of tournaments overseas. Um, 
you know, so just, it was hard. It was hard to make money. And that's, that's the honest truth really is I was kind of at a point in my life where I was like, okay, I'm not in debt, but I also am not making money. So I need to do something. And getting into coaching was just such a great opportunity to still be involved in golf. And then, you know, starting to learn about myself as a person and how I can impact others. And that's my first couple of years in, in coaching was really about learning about myself and what my role in coaching would be for the, for those around me. Yeah. So, we were about you know, to and if I, coming out, yeah. Yeah. And so if I, you know, even kind of going through that transition of diving into myself, I know, you know, in golf, we're so selfish with our time. And I started realizing that 18 to 22 year olds are who we're around all the time as coaches. And they're very impressionable. It's their first time away from mom and dad. It's a lot of time, you know, they're, they're doing things on their own for the first time. They're figuring out laundry. They're figuring out their study schedule. They're figuring out how to get up for workouts at 6am and setting their own alarms. And I thought to myself, well, this is a lot more than just making them better at golf. I didn't really realize it. Um, And so then went on a pretty big journey of just reading a ton and journaling. And, you know, when I really noticed I was making an impact was when we'd be traveling and and one of our players at Ohio State would say, hey, Chris, what are you reading now? Hey, what, what are you reading this week? I was like, wow, they really do take in what you're doing. And then they, they really do absorb a lot of what you do as, as far as your actions. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, things were great. And, and we were rolling along here. We'd won three Big Ten championships in a row at Ohio State. And we were just cruising. And I thought, you know, what's what's next? Do I stay? Do I go? And you know, that was a pretty big decision. My dad had passed away in April 2016. So it was a big amount of change going on in my life when that job opportunity came up. And I thought, you know, maybe it's a fresh start for everything. It's my first head coaching opportunity. It was down in Texas, um, great community just south of Austin, down in San Marcos. And, and you know, Texas State, I, I'll be always forever grateful for taking a chance on me to be a first-time head coach for their program and, you know, and learning what I wanted to do and spread my wings and make my own mark on a program. Yeah, that uh, I'm sure that transition from assistant, you know, into being head coach and and getting to do your own thing. And I know you had a lot to do, a lot of responsibilities there at Ohio State when you were the assistant, but to really have it. And and just like you said, you don't. I mean, when we're playing, you just, it is, even though you're not necessarily a selfish person, when you're playing as, especially as a professional, it is, it's extremely, you know, a selfish kind of mentality and, and everything out there. And you forget that, you know, everything doesn't just revolve around you and your golf game. And then these girls all of a sudden, you know, start looking to what you're doing and you realize that it's not about you anymore. And, and it's, you know, so much more about that. And it just totally changes your, your perspective on, on life and, and, you know, golf in general, I think, um, that you were, if you were anything like me, definitely were not expecting when you kind of took that, that different position there on the other side of things. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, I was, I love helping people. I've always loved doing that. I, I actually had aspirations of being a pediatrician when I was really young and in high school even. And I've always loved being around kids. So I put people in front of myself a lot. And that might be what held me back as a professional golfer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd be on the driving range and someone would say, hey, can you look at this? Or, hey, can you help me with my putting? Or, you know, there's a <laughs> there's a new coach down at Louisville who she listens to this podcast. She knows who she is. But I would in professional golf be helping other players. And I'm like, wait a second, what am I doing? And yeah. so yeah. I think sometimes I was almost so open to helping others that I was holding myself back sometimes in, in professional golf that um, 
it's not my nature. And, and yeah, and, I, I could, I, I, I had to, I had to kind of learn that that may be what held me back. And sometimes you don't realize it even when it's going on. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. I think that's the, a lot of times the, the nice guy syndrome that you see some of on both sides of the men and the women's side of the game, that sometimes when you do have that true, like nice girl, I should say mentality, it's hard because it is such a sport where you have to, you know, it is so much about you and your time and how you're using it and trying to find that balance while still wanting to be, like I said, a good person and, and think about others. It's uh, it's a tough thing. A lot of times when the girls ask about going out there and playing, you know, that is some of the first things that, that kind of comes to mind is trying to find that balance of, you know, when you see these really just good kids and, and how hard it is to, to not kind of get eaten up with that. And, and, you know, like I said, trying to find that balance of the success with you know, the bigger picture and the holistic side of things out there, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think when those conversations happen too, it's, do you want to, is this the profession you want to pursue or is it something you're just thinking you should try because you just, don't want to regret it. I mean, there's not, that's not a great reason to do something. Yes, um, I agree. And, and that's my opinion, but I think it's very um, unlikely that you're going to have great success if you're like, well, I'm just going to give it a couple of years and see how it goes. Yeah. Like that's just, you know, that's just a recipe to kind of set yourself up for, well, I have a plan B over here. So you know what I would say is to not waste the two years in time and money and just go into plan B. Because if you're kind of on the back burner with things, then that's where you're kind of probably going to end up settling. Very true. And now I've also taken it as when I've had some of the girls talk about it is if you are going out there with the mindset that you're going to make a lot of money and you're doing it for that reason, then you're really going to be in trouble. So I always tell them if you're doing this for, you know, just the opportunity that it is and because you really want to play and compete and for the bigger picture of the connections and the relationships you can make and the experience you get and you can think of it that way and not and expect to possibly lose or to more than likely lose money and you're not doing it for the money. And it's, you know, if you can have that mentality and that mindset, it makes it so much easier instead of thinking of it as a profession that I'm going to make all this money and, and do all that, then it just makes that grind so much harder. And so much more stressful yeah. and pressure. Yeah, I mean, so many, so many people live, live and die on, you know, making a cut or missing a cut. And it's, yeah, the life is just so full of surprises. And, and there are so many success stories out there that you never hear of, but people that have, you know, missed 15 cuts in a row. And then all of a sudden they make three or four in a row and win a, mm-hmm. a tour event. And you're just, you know, they don't, they forget so quickly how hard it was to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and now that's part of wanting to do this as well was seeing, getting them to understand it feels so much like it's the end of the world when you're out there playing and you don't play well and you don't see what we get to see now of the experiences and what you are actually really learning through all that. And yes, it was costing you a lot of money and you were having to watch every dime and the travel wasn't always the best and all that. But I look at all that it took, you know, those seven, eight years is so much of what's led me into what I'm doing now that at that time, you don't think about the bigger picture of what you're doing with that. But if you can get the girls to maybe see that a little bit, it just takes a little bit of that stress that, that I know that we all probably felt a little bit more now that um, it's a little bit easier to see now looking back for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That comes with maturity and perspective, like you said. And I think it's a lot of, you know, life when you look back, the puzzle pieces start to come together and it makes a much prettier picture than you imagined at the time when you were in the middle of stuff that was really hard to go through or yes. really challenging. But I think that's so right that when you zoom out or move past some times that were hard, um, you realize that it, they all played a role in helping you become that person. 
Exactly. And it's definitely easier to say now and, and all that, but, um, all right, well, let's talk a little bit about, um, got some different questions. So, you know, obviously since you're in this transition and, you know, obviously since I work with the girls and have to see them sometimes go through the coach leaves before they get there and what happens with that, or even in cases where they're there and, you know, a new coach comes in, um, you know, just talk a little bit from the coach side of things, you know, what that's like on your end of having to make that move, you know, whatever reason it is. I know in some cases, I know for you, um, it is the opportunity to get back a little bit um, kind of closer to where you were in school and everything. Is, is your family still in Ohio? I've got family. My mom is outside of uh, Philadelphia. So okay. I have a, you know, a strong connection to Ohio and, and yeah, I mean, it's, a little bit. Like, if, yeah, yeah, if the transition kind of is the question, it's it's hard. It comes at you fast. You know, I had no yeah. no anticipation of um, leaving Texas State. I, I wasn't planning on applying for any jobs this summer. I was very happy with where the program was and where it was going and the trajectory we were on and the culture we were building down there. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think at, at some point, though, when you get a phone call that um, when you least expect it, you have to realize that all the hard work you've done that has led you to the point of them wanting to reach out to you. It's, it's a compliment to what that work means. And I had to take that seriously when, when I got that phone call from Kent state that, you know, they, they admired me from afar and from a distance over the last few years. And um, when it came time that, you know, and the program is in a, in a great state of affairs up there that um, Mm -hmm. they were actually considering, you know, bringing me up for an interview. I was, was quite flattered and quite humbled to be honest. And, you know, it would have been a disservice to myself and, and all the people who have helped me get to where I am today, including, you know, Therese is a huge impact on that, to not entertain like, hey, well, what is this all about? What what could this mean for me moving forward? Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, you didn't make that decision easy, though. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, I guess that's a little bit of it. Like I said, I think some parents and players don't see and, and think you know, and in some cases it is coaches that are looking to move on, whether they're not happy or they, like I said, they want to get back closer to home where they're at or, you know, whatever it might be. You have some in that case. And then you have ones like this where the opportunity presented itself to you. And I mean, you're talking about, you know, a top 10 ranked team. They finished what Kent State was 10th in golf stat rankings, I think an 11th in golf week at the end of last season. You're talking about a really, really strong golf program that he said extremely flattering and and I know I was excited when I saw that and that you got the position and because I said it's such a strong strong program and you just it's an opportunity that you know yeah maybe you got there and it didn't didn't feel right but you had to give yourself that chance and and just trying to like I said I think sometimes get those players and parents to understand um I know sometimes it's hard and then they don't especially at that age don't understand you know you leaving um you know the, the team you have and all that um but maybe just, you know, maybe for we'll start a little bit on the you know, the kids that, you know, you've had before that you are having to kind of say goodbye to. What what kind of advice or thoughts do you have for anybody who might be in that position or faces that position for how they can kind of think about it when they all of a sudden find out, you know, a coach that they thought was going to be there for four years or two more years, whatever, is, you know, is moving on? Yeah, and to just kind of backtrack, you know, there was a possibility that, Therese wasn't going to be my coach when I came in here my freshman year in the fall of 1995 and she made the phone call and she'd said that there was a school where she was going to be going and you know so I kind of had that that phone call before to myself it ended up that you know a lot of the parents rallied behind it and back in the day they had phone calls and, and all that to the athletic director um, they were able to to get her to stay and give her what she needed to 
nice. be successful here. The couple things that she wanted was, you know, like a computer and an assistant coach at the time. It was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we kind of laugh at that now, but, you know, it's, it's that was the truth of, of how much it meant to us. And so, you know, fast forwarding to, to accepting that job and then having to make that phone call to, you know, the, the girls that not only were returning, but the new kids that were going to be joining our team uh, on transfer and a couple of freshmen coming in that bought into what we were trying to build there. And, you know, we, we had a lot of kids that just, they believed in, in the coaching staff and, and what we were doing. So yeah, those phone calls, I mean, you just have to be as transparent as you can. Uh, it's not, it's not them. Um, you know, it's not, your not turning your back on them. And like I told each of them, you know, there's certain NCAA rules that, you know, I can't converse with you guys at this point, but I want to make sure you hear it from me first. That's a big thing for me. And, um, and I also want you to know I love you and care about you. And I, you know, moving forward, once you graduate, like I'm going to be a huge cheerleader for whatever you, you do in life. And this is not a, a goodbye, have a great life. I'll see you later on. It's, hey, let's, let's keep in touch. Let's, if I'm traveling around the world, I still want to be around you and, and see your family and, and, and do all that. So, you know, I, I guess that's where the relationship side for me as a coach, and that's what we're developing as coaches with these players. Like life is so important outside of the sport you play that when, when we prepare them and that's how I, I talked to a few of them is that's why we train them the way that we do. Life is going to throw these curveballs at you and you've got to be ready to adapt and adjust. Just like I had to get this curveball thrown at me even to have the job opportunity that I did. And hopefully what we've done is given them the tools that they need to survive and thrive in the next environment that they're going to be in, whether that, you know, or whatever that looks like moving forward for them is that I've done them a great service of, of training them and being prepared for that opportunity too. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, when you said it's, it's easy. I know it's hard sometimes for some of the, the girls to understand that and, and see that. Cause I'm sure some probably, you know, feel abandoned or, you know, it's just the article I just wrote the, this yesterday, or whatever about, you know, not taking things personally and that kind of stuff. I know when you're, you're that age, it's like I said, you're very impressionable and, and the emotions can, can take over a little bit, but you know, you hope that they, well, and, and, and at the end of the day, it does stink. Like, yeah. To, you yeah. know, to not be fluffy into rainbows and unicorns and all that stuff. Like, it stinks. <laughs> It stinks yeah, to make yeah. the phone call. I was sick to my stomach. Like I could be real, real here. Yeah. And I was sick to my stomach each call I had to make because I was like, you know, I asked each of them, don't let, like, don't group message your teammates. I want to be the one that calls yeah. each person. And I will send a group message once everybody knows that, yeah. you know, that you guys can kind of converse. But I just, you know, it does. It just puts mm -hmm. that sick feeling in your stomach. Um, but each one of them, and this is where I commend them because I think that's where the maturity comes in and how we've, we treated them within our program there. Um, each one of them was shocked. And then each one went into, wow, coach, what a great opportunity. I'm so proud of you. And I'm so excited for you and get to take over a program like that at Kent State. And then they were concerned about, hey, well, what happens for us next? So each one of them, it kind of was those three, three parts of the conversation. And, and, you know, I know at the end of the day, they're going to get taken care of. They're going to thrive in the next environment that they're in because of the impression and the impact I've made on them. And that, that's what I'm most proud of. Yeah, I'm sure that probably makes you feel better. And I think it does. It says a lot of think about 
about you as a coach and, and why Kent State wanted you is, is like you said, you, you know, the girls first thing was kind of think about you and commend you and, and, you know, be excited for you. And, and then it was a little bit of like, uh Oh, now what, what happens with us? Um, but I think that says yeah, a lot and, about, and, I know you didn't get to walk, all, all those girls, I guess, but. Yeah. Well, actually that was our, that was our team then. Um, every kid Okay. at that point. Okay. Okay. Yep. So yep. we had just gotten, we had just kind of crossed that, that road, but you know, the other, the other side of it is to the, um, you know, the parents. And again, it, it all comes down to when you're recruiting a kid, you're not recruiting just that individual, but it's mm-hmm. the mom and the dad and the brothers and sisters. And um, you look kids in the eye and, and see that potential in them and they buy into what, what you're doing and, and you just want to do the right things for them. Yeah. And, um, but at the end of the day, they, they know these dif- difficult decisions happen and um, just like we're told no sometimes, or you yeah, know, just yeah. like a, a kid has to call us and say, Hey, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity, but I'm going to go a different direction. You know, it's never a hard yeah. feeling between myself and a, and a player that tells me, no, it's always, I wish you nothing but the best and, you know, keep in touch if anything changes. And, you know, you just, you just never know when you're going to cross paths with someone else again later in life. And again, that's, that stems a lot from Therese and how she handles recruiting. And, you know, I just, I've learned, you know, just a ton from her and, and my time with her. Well, actually, that was a little bit of what I was going to talk about next was some of the, you know, a little bit of the hurdles and lessons kind of early on, especially we kind of talked a little bit about it, but going from being a player to being a coach and what was some of those things Let's say we touched on a little bit about, you know, going from, you know, about you and playing and then all of a sudden it's about the girls and, and thinking it's just about their golf and then realizing it's so much more than that. And what were some of those maybe hurdles and lessons kind of, especially early on and, and maybe even some, obviously you're continuing to continuing to learn just, especially I said about kind of having been a player role and now as a coach, what, um, what have some of those been? Yeah. If I think back to my first year or two of coaching, my biggest memories are, why don't they want to work harder? Why don't they want to stay longer? Why aren't they doing more? You know, why aren't they playing more? Why aren't they practicing with each other more? Why aren't they, hopping in the car on a Saturday and going playing somewhere else more. I, it just didn't register to me that they didn't want to be as good as the people I had been around for the previous 10 years. So I had to really, and, and <laughs> I mean, I might mention Therese, if I mention her once, I mentioned her probably 10 more times, but you know, she sat me down probably in one of my first uh, little semi-annual reviews or whatever you you know, performance reviews and she's like hey we just got to kind of like figure out a way for you to communicate with the girls a little better <laughs> like, yeah. well, I'm just really frustrated <laughs> yeah you know and, and she's like yeah well not each kid's gonna be reached the same way and so that probably was a, a little bit of a spur to you know for me to okay how do I connect with each kid that they're gonna want to be out here more often and yeah. that you know that really ends up being what it is is the more you can connect with them on an individual personal level um the more time they're going to want to spend around you. And if you're at the golf course, guess what? They're going to be out there more. So, you know, really spending the time to, if they're in the study room or if, you know, if they're chipping and putting and just kind of going and and saying, Hey, real quick, and just, Hey, how are classes going? And talking to stuff, talking about stuff outside of golf really is where they're going to feel the most sense of kind of security with you. And, you know, the same can be said then as I transitioned into Kent state with, reaching out to each individual on that team was, you know, it was kind of nerve wracking for me a little bit, you know, they're thrown into a situation they weren't expecting and they were in a a great situation with Greg and Maddie and had done tremendous things for that program. And, you know, I wanted to kind of 
tell them, you know, hey, we're not slowing down. This is not a rebuild. This is not a culture issue. This is not something they've done wrong. This is yeah. um, this is an exciting time. It's a big transition for both parties involved. You know, the team is going to have to have a new coach, but they're also, you know, their coach is going through a lot. You know, I was, I, and I kind of had dinner with a couple of them the other night and just, you know, I was letting them know like, hey, you guys are going through a lot with a new coach and so am I. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Having to buy and sell houses and do all this stuff that, you know, across moving across the country and, you know, it's a, it's a big transition, new people. I don't know anybody in Kent, Ohio, except coaches that I've met and the staff that I've met. And, um, but they, you know, that's, that's the side of things that a lot of student athletes maybe don't see or, or realize it happens. So, you know, exactly, it, yeah. in transitioning though, I think your original question going back to that <laughs> transitioning into coaching from playing, a big part of it is just realizing that they're at the level where 18 to 22 year olds are not where 30 to 40 year olds are. True. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I see myself battle that a little bit with, you know, the trying to consult these players and, and expecting them, you know, you, and we talk about this. I'll, I talk about it with a lot of coaches that you are trying to see those players with a lot of maturity and an ownership and, and some that have it really do stand out. And a lot of times it's hard to not expect everybody to have that. And I catch myself sometimes having a couple, you know, players that I work with that, you know, ask me questions and get things done before I even have to ask them. And then I have others that if I didn't get in touch with them and ask them what they're doing, I would never hear from them. Um, and remembering mm -hmm. that, you know, they are young and you know, while you, it's great and it's easy when you have those ones that, that are maybe years ahead of where the other ones are and, and have all that, you do have to kind of remember that they are, you know, for me, I, you know, I've got the 14, 15, 16, 17 year olds and you know, they're not really expected. I guess there's such high expectations now for them to remember that there's a lot that if I don't tell them to do stuff or if I don't ask them, have you called coaches? Have you done this? I just had a player tell me she verbally committed today. And I was like, why didn't you tell me this so that we could talk about this? You know, and sometimes I forget that I constantly have to remind them and, and say those things and not just expect them to be, you know, that self-disciplined. Um, and it's still our role to help them become that way. And it's um, sometimes it's hard to, you know, like I said, you sometimes expect them to be where you are and, and, and forget that for me, I know I was probably not even close to where half of my girls are at that age. I was, so immature and everything. So trying to remember that I know is, I know for me has been a big learning curve. So I can imagine as much as you get to do a little more hands-on really, you know, yeah. having to remind yourself that they are, you know, even if you might not have been in that same, uh, even though you might've been that hard worker as a college player, that not all of them are going to be, I guess. Well, and yeah, I've asked, I've asked Teresa, you know, in the middle of, of learning all of this stuff and then, you know, still constantly trying to get a little bit better every day at it. You know, coach, am I forgetting? Like, was I a mess sometimes? Like, did I not work as hard? Because I think we kind of have that that memory that, you know, of course I did. And of course it yeah. was, you know, uphill both ways to, to walk to class. And, um, you know, she's See, like, the we all have our moments. Yeah. yeah. See, I'm the opposite. I know I didn't work hard enough as a college kid. And if I, when I do my podcast with, my coach, Coach Potter, um, he's going. I'm gonna let him tell all that he wants to. He'll confirm. No shame that I did not. And maybe I'll probably go the opposite. I think I maybe undervalued that I, I did work a little harder than maybe I remember. But I know that, like, I don't know. Now he's gonna get on here and be like, "No, you really just did not." And <laughs> it's really gonna confirm to everybody that I was not lying. That I was very lackadaisical in my um, my approach to. Um, 
to college golf and, and even professional golf, which that's, we, that's a whole, that's a, that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, tell me, um, you know, maybe some of the more kind of rewarding times. Like I said, I know some of the stuff we've kind of hit on, but, um, you know, what's been one of the most, obviously getting named Kent state, you know, head coach is obviously a very rewarding moment, but what about something with some players? I know you had um, an individual make it to regionals this past year. It's the last time I think I got to see you. Um, what's been something maybe one of the most rewarding, whether even it was when you were an assistant at Ohio, at Ohio State, what's been something that maybe stands out on or off the golf course that's been just one of those yeah. feel-good kind of moments? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, certainly, you know, winning championships together as a team is, is a huge highlight. Um, but what goes into that and, and all the work behind the scenes of of getting to that point, putting yourself in a position to, to win is, you know, I think it gets undervalued. Sometimes the, the winning is so expected, especially where I've coached. Um, you know, at Ohio State, championships are ex- the expectation, and excellence is the expectation. And so I took that that mentality probably to Texas State, and um, you know, we had a freshman who the first day of practice, if you had lined up the five players that we had, we had five players that first fall in 2016, and, and Jenny Gleason, our assistant coach at the time, and I were standing there. I'm like, okay, we got to make sure nobody gets hurt. We got to make sure that everybody stays eligible, and hopefully, we can add a couple kids at the semester break. So to see one of our freshmen, Sassikar and Sambun, so we call her um, go from a very lanky, uh, Gumby-like golf swing, kind of hitting it all over the place the first couple months of college golf to winning a conference championship in April. I would say that was the biggest transformation of a, a player in one nice. season that I've ever seen. Nice. And it was yes. uh, highly attributable to her dedication of just buying in and getting better and, and doing what we've asked of her, but doing it because she knew that it was the right thing for her to do. And, um, you know, and then off the golf course, a big thing for me, we had a player lose her father while I was at Ohio state. Teresa had never had that happen. So obviously I had never had that happen either. And helping her through that process. Um, you know, there's nothing like losing a parent and, and I hadn't lost my dad at that point, but I can tell you what, when, when that time came in 2016 and I did, uh, she was one of the first persons to reach out to me. And I think, you know, we can, we can talk about big 10 championships and regionals and, you know, hopefully moving on to national championships at Kent state. And and my whole thing though, is all that stuff is just stuff. And and Mm -hmm. when it's all said and done, we're, we're still people and coaches are still people and we still have hearts and feelings. And when you have a player that reaches out to you and has been through losing a father like that, um, that's when you know you've made a difference in someone's life. And there's a girl at Texas State as well, same thing. She's lost her dad before she got to college. And so she and I connected on a different level. And, and that's, what, that's what you need to do is, I think, as a society and people, we just there's so much more in common um, between us than there is different. And if you really stop and just listen to people talk and let them be heard, um, you, you get a lot further and you get people just run through a brick wall for you. And, and that's, that's probably just been the most rewarding part is that I know I can pick up the phone and reach out to any former player I've had and have a really good conversation about how their life is going and most of them aren't playing professional golf and that's okay yeah yeah that's that is that's awesome and it, it is it, it says a lot I've said about you as a coach and and I think just about the bigger picture of college golf and in trying to talk about you know finding the right fit and and it's that's all easier said than done but when you can find that connection with a coach and from a coach to a player perspective that uh, you know, sometimes you can't always pinpoint exactly what it was or what you had in common, but you can just tell there's a little bit of that, that bond there. And, you know, that goes such a long way and 
a lot of times a lot farther than just their golf game. Obviously, you know, you've got bosses and a salary and that kind of stuff that, you know, you've got to produce results at the same time. But sometimes those connections that you make, you know, are so much more valuable and meaningful. And then they can, a lot of times when you have that connection can turn into better golf too, which is, you know, icing on the cake. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because life, life does kind of go full circle six, roughly six and a half years ago. Um, so I was about a year and a half into coaching. I interviewed at Kent State. A lot of people don't even know that. And Greg got the job. And it's kind of funny, like we just talked about perspective and zooming out and, you know, coaches are kind of sometimes scared to maybe share if they've interviewed here or done that. And and, and I try to be a great resource for assistant coaches and and other coaches that are looking to move on from where they are, or maybe get a bigger job, or what do you think about that? And I I like to be a good resource for them and a sounding board. But um, when I went through that process, I mean, I wasn't ready. I was a year and a half into coaching and still learning so much about myself. But I think back and and it's it's interesting because I interviewed with some very similar people that I'd met six years ago. And um, they're like, man, we've been following your career, though, and we know what you've been nice. doing. And so even when people aren't watching um, or, or, you know, right near you, um, people are still very much aware of, of what's going on. And I think that's where uh, it's just in coaching and involving as a as a coach. And if, if there are people out there that want to, you know, aspire to be a, a head coach, it's just you have to realize that all the little things you're doing and all the, the details you're diving into do make a difference later on. It might not be in a year or two or three, um, but it'll, it'll put you in a place where you can be successful later on. Yes. Yes, most definitely. Um, well, let's that I had a little story to go about that, but I know we only have so much time, so I'll save that for a later date. One thing that I did, and I wrote this note down only because I had a parent um, send me a message that they wanted to hear a little bit about this, and this is a really good timing of you coming from being a Texas state and going back to Ohio is kind of just, we're going to switch modes a little bit, but a little bit, again, with some of the juniors and, and parents who might be listening. Now that you're going to be back in a little bit colder temps and having to deal with that weather, what you know, how difficult is that to to manage, you know, especially if you've got a kid coming from warmer climates that are, you know, just so adamant against going to colder states. And obviously there's different, you know, relativity there as to just exactly what's going to be cold and size of facilities and all that. But I know that's going to be a little bit of a transition, you know, for you. But you were, you know, you were at Ohio State before. Um, what a little bit of insight and advice for, like I said, I know we're totally switching, switching modes here. Um, but What's some insight with that for some of those who, you know, may really disregard some of those places because they don't want to go because it's cold and everybody wants to go where it's warm. What's been your perspective on kind of seeing both ends of the spectrum with that? Well, I mean, it's 93 and sunny in Ohio right now. Yes, sure. Yes. A little different right now. Yes. Yes. I'll come back to you in six months and let's see how you feel about that. Yeah. You know, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to finding the right the right fit in a lot of different ways. And I, w- I would encourage every, you know, prospective student athlete and their parents to do their homework of, Hey, is it a good fit for me academically? Is it a good fit for me geog- geographically? And then you start to kind of really, you know, sort your list because, you know, if you don't want to be in Ohio in January, I mean, you can probably cross it off your list, but yeah. if there's a lot of things that fit, if it's a golf program that you want to be in and it's, you know, uh, academically you're going to be successful because it's got the major maybe a very specific major you want to have you know then maybe there's some trade-off of like well hey I I know we're going to travel a lot 
uh, you know, we travel down to Florida, we'll travel out to California. Um, there's not really very much time that you're spending in these cold winter days up here that um, you're missing practice though. And, and we have a great indoor facility. Most Northern schools do these days. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, if, if I could, you know, let me tell you, and I will say that I've told this to many kids, if I can get to the LPGA tour with as bad as I was at golf as a junior golfer, not heavily recruited, but Teresa saw something in me. If I can develop my skills in a Northern school, anybody else can. Yeah. So, and we didn't have the facilities that even Ohio state has now. Like we had French field house and hitting balls and then taking our bag and running around the 200 yard track and putting them down and then hitting a few more shots or whatever. You know, like We just made it work. And so I think when, when you have a person that has the desire to go where they say they want to go, then the school and, and the facilities and, and the coaching staff is, you know, it all kind of falls in the line of, of what they want to do. So yeah, are there challenges? Are you going to have to kind of overcome some hurdles? But if, at the end of the day, if weather's the kind of all, end all be all for a decision, then, you know, the decision's probably going to be pretty easy for that person. True. That is true. Yes. Yeah. And like I said, I, I, that one popped up and, and right about time we got on this call, I was like, you know what, this would be a good one to yeah. ask you just because like I said, from a coach perspective and player perspective, you've got a couple of different perspectives on that. And I knew I, I had parents send me a message the other day wanting to, um, you know, and I see it. I see it with players. I get northern players, and one of the reasons they come to me is they want to come down here to the south, and and they mm-hmm. think you know. And then a lot of them have ended up staying up there, and you know. Then I've had some from down here who think there's no way they'd go to the cold weather states, and they find something that's a better fit, and you know all that. So, uh, yeah, and it comes. I think you know the other the other piece of it too is how bad do they want it? You know, and true, yeah, coaches are going to provide you a great structure and a great opportunity. You know. A lot of them, I guess, more individually to myself, like experience of playing at the highest level, um, playing on the LPGA tour, doing you know the facility that I know Kent State has and the practice area that they have, the accessibility golf courses in the area. But like at the end of the day, it's if the kid wants it bad enough, coaches are going to put you in the environment to succeed and and be ready for that next step, regardless of of weather. I mean, they're there's no day that you're going to miss of practice. Like you, there's always going to be stuff you can do. True. Yes. And you look at some places like where, you know, I'm here in South Carolina and everybody thinks that's the South. I want to go there, but because we don't have extreme temperatures here during the winter, we don't have all these great indoor facilities. So in a way, sometimes players in and around kind of the Carolinas, when it's one of those brutal winters, you don't have indoor facilities to really go to. Um, So I've tried to kind of get some players to understand that, that, you know, when you go places that's not truly, you know, year round warm weather, um, you're just, you just kind of have to, to deal with it. And as opposed to some places where they do have facilities that help accommodate for that on a more, you know, day in and day out basis here, it's just either you kind of suck it up and go hit and freezing cold or the golf courses are shut down and you don't have an option a lot of times. Um, so, yeah. you know, I don't know if you remember, do you remember Angie Rizzo? Uh huh. Oh yeah. So she and I were talking about warm weather, cold weather one time, this is a while ago. And she's from Minnesota. I grew up in North and South Dakota quite a bit, whatever. And the discussion kind of was like, well, you know, the winters are brutal. I'm like, yeah, but Arizona in Scottsdale, Arizona, whatever, when she was moving there to, to play and practice and stuff. I'm like, so you're either having a huge heating bill in the wintertime or a huge air conditioning bill in the summertime. There's extreme temperatures everywhere. Um, yeah. Deep South Texas, it's hot in September, October. 
we had to have practice at 7 a.m. because it was so hot during the daytime that we, you know, just try to beat the heat. So, I mean, yeah. some kids coming from European countries don't even realize how hot hot is until they get mm-hmm. there. It's true. Yes. Yeah. And then you get humidity that I've had some at a, when I first started doing this, I had a kid from Ireland that was over here and had, had no idea what playing in humidity. I mean, literally struggled with just, you know, just, just mentally staying with it because it was like, what is this? Like this, you know, just had no idea. Um, I think, I think it was the Ireland kid. I maybe say that wrong, but I mean, you just, you know, we're so used to humidity and I mean, I'm sitting here in my house and I'm sweating right now just because, it's always humid around here, I feel like, but even that yeah. kind of thing. So, you know, I, it, it is, I get where some, you know, probably will have a tougher time. And, and if that's not, you know, if all of the, the other things don't line up and, and weather's just going to make it even, you know, not as enjoyable of an experience and you certainly don't want to go there, but if everything else seems to line up, I, I, I can see where, you know, I'm not the, I've never lived in really cold places. I've never had true winters. You know, we get our few inches of snow and everything shuts down and, and it gets cold here. But um, it's like you said, if you've got the right place and the right home, all that doesn't, won't matter um, when everything else. And I think, you know, the college, the college golf season, I mean, as I'm kind of even hearing you, you speak, it's the college golf season is tough because there's not a lot of time to rebuild things. But in the wintertime, right. and, the, and this is a, a huge benefit is you can actually get some mechanical work done that maybe you try to play through if you're down in the South and feel like, Oh, I should be out there playing today. It's so nice. And so there's a benefit of just kind of shutting things down a little bit of not worrying about ball flight. Maybe you are hitting, maybe you can't open the garage door to hit balls out into into the driving range that day, but at least, you know, I'm going to get some technical work done so that, you know, in about six weeks time, you may have progressed a lot further than you've been been doing just being outside. Yeah. Very good point. I had thought about that. That's, very good point. All right. Well, let's, um, one other question and then I have my kind of wrap up question, but, um, yeah, I know we've talked about some kind of serious stuff, but I always like to find out what's a good, and I know between you and Jenny Gleason, you know, traveling and, and coaching down there, there's gotta be some fun stories. It might not be from that. Um, but I can only imagine between the two of y'all how, uh, entertaining some things can be, but one of the last, uh, I guess it was, um, Lindsay that was on here from Denver. She had a really good story between her and, um, uh, Laura and, and their travels or whatever, but what is a good, like they have nothing to do with, with Gleason, but what is a good, um, just a good story that stands out. Just a really good, funny story. Um, so we've had April fool's day stories, Halloween stories from some coaches. Um, what's something that stands out is just one of the funniest kind of experiences you've had as being a coach. Well, there's a couple, probably one of them is kind of an annual tradition. I like to call it that the first time you're in the van, you put the big headphones on your your ears and play the music, whatever song you want to sing, play it really loudly. So you can't hear yourself sing it and you sing for the van. <laughs> I call it a tradition. Some people are like, well, I don't want to do it. I'm like, you don't have to do it if you don't want to do it. Um, but it's become a, it, it has caught on. It, it was something we did at Ohio State when I was on the team. And I've just kind of carried it through to Texas State when I was there. And uh, the girls love it. I mean, they and they love hearing coaches sing and they love they love everything about it. So you get some wide ranges wide ranges yeah, i'm sure songs, yeah song choices everything from slow country to hip-hop and lady gaga but um it just shows a little bit more personality my, that might also might answer my most difficult part of coaching question that might be one of your answers for that too is to having to listen to that might be one of the most difficult <laughs> yeah. and coaching might fit that too yeah yeah but that's I, fun okay yeah up front um jenny Jenny drove the vans all the time down in Texas. She loves driving, so I'm usually the DJ, and 
Nice. Didn't get too many complaints. A lot of headphones in the back, so they usually like to just kind of handle the the radio responsibility. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, gotcha. You know, I actually had a girl this last yeah the last fall. She um, she was struggling with her golf swing a little bit. A lot of hands being involved at the bottom of the golf swing, and a lot of flip as we would call it. We we're working on some stuff, and you know, back in the day, there was a an old girl that you basically try to release the club, and it would go down. The, the driving range but actually as you released it kind of fly down the, the range I'm talking 20 30 yards not yeah. so I kind of showed her what it would look like and said all right just do a couple practice swings and kind of slowly she was kind of nervous about doing it and all of a sudden she's like okay I'm gonna go full speed here I was like all right so she's getting ready to go and she decided to let it go and it and her hands kind of flipped and it ended up going up over her left shoulder high in the sky there was a guy on the men's team probably uh, 20 uh, yards behind her on the tee box and this club was flying over his head and we I mean we lost it on the driving range that day like for no, about two no. weeks just anytime we ran into him anytime she saw him I mean it was just laughing so yeah probably one of the funniest moments as far as practice time and uh, call it, I guess, a drill gone wrong. <laughs> I was about to say, you've got a couple of these that could fit, could have turned into the most difficult moments that you've had. If they had gone a little bit differently, that might be another one where you took out a player. <laughs> well, it was actually captured yeah. on video, so that was probably even the funny oh, part of it all. Yeah. Because um, yeah. they saw her do it once, and then they were like, okay, I want a video this time, and then that's when it went. And then that happened. Flying, like oh, a helicopter, man. you know. Yeah, yeah. That's good. funny. Yes. However, I've heard recent story that Top Golf, I think, that happened on Fields here in Greenville. I think it might have been when the one here in Greenville just opened that that actually happened and it crashed into hit somebody or did something. So I'm sure. Um, lucky that, yeah. Hopefully they signed a waiver. Lucky nobody got hurt. Yes, I was about to say, you might <laughs> wish you didn't have that on video after the fact. Yeah, lucky nothing. Lucky nobody got hurt. But that's um, I can I can see that being. I I do have one more coaching story, and I tell this a okay. lot. I was coming back from the U.S. Girls Junior with with Therese, so I call her coach. I mean, I've always called her coach. Yeah. Coach and I are in San Francisco. We've got to get to Columbus, Ohio, to get on a private plane with one of our boosters as we we're getting ready to build our indoor facility. And we we're going to go around and see a couple of other facilities on that the next day on a little day trip. So we get in into the hotel or into the uh, airport. I think the girls were playing. The girls junior was at Lake Merced that year when probably like Lydia Co won or something. So get up in the air, airplanes going and we're about an hour into our flight and an hour into our flight. The pilot decides to say, we got to turn this plane around. Mm-hmm. We turn this plane around and land back in San Francisco. And now we're stuck in San Francisco trying to figure out how we're going to get to Columbus. So they were like, well, we can get you to Chicago. So they rebook us. We end up taking off. We get to Chicago at about, I don't know, 1 a.m. And there are no hotels available at all. So they decide, we're going to get you on a bus, and we're going to get you to South Bend, Indiana. So the booster from Ohio State was going to get his plane to South Bend. We're going to go to Notre Dame's facility. We were going to get on a bus from Chicago O'Hare Airport and meet them. It was the longest night of travel. We ended up sleeping oh, on God. cots. They gave us vouchers for Dunkin' Donuts. Next morning, Teresa's on a cot next to me. I'm no more than two feet from her face. And I look over her. She's waking up. This guy's yelling, time to get up, people. It's time to get up. And we're, oh, I mean, we're in an airport. The lights start turning on. 
I look at her and I'm like, where are we right now? And she's like, oh, I don't know. You want to go get Dunkin' Donuts? I'm like, yeah. Dunkin' <laughs> 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 Donuts. got about travels- donuts, cup of coffee, a couple bottles of water, got on a bus and that's ended in South Bend, South Bend, oh, Indiana. Goodness. I don't even know how we got through the rest of that day. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that about U.S. girl. I spent the night in Chicago airport with one of my girls headed to the U.S. junior girls. We did not get Dunkin' Donuts, though, but we slept on. <laughs> we didn't get cuts either. We had to oh, freezing cold. We actually got VIP treatment. You must have, yeah, because we did not. We Our flights kept getting canceled, and we were trying to get to St. Louis, I think. And we got hmm. Chicago, and the flights kept getting canceled. And I started looking and I realized we could take the train from out of Chicago down to St. Louis, but we, same thing. There was, I mean, we couldn't know where to stay. And I don't think we, you know, it was so late. I'm like, we're not going to pay to go stay in a hotel just for a few hours. We'll sleep here, um, you know, and same thing, sleeping in the airport. But like I said, we didn't, I don't remember Dunkin' Donuts or Cots. All I remember is curled up on the seats, trying to, trying to lay out on some of the seats that didn't have armrest and then getting, going subway into Chicago to catch the train to go down to St. Louis so she could play nine holes of her practice round that afternoon because we were almost like 24 hours late getting there. Um, Planes, trains, and automobiles. People don't realize, you know, the the joys of travel. And and even the other day, I was listening to your podcast actually with Lindsay. Um, I'd arrived up in Cleveland, you know, and I'm I'm there to go to new employee orientation and kind of start looking for houses and stuff. Bags took forever to come out. I finally got to the rental car company. They were about ready to close. Thank goodness they stayed open. Got in my car and had about an hour drive down to Kent and got to the hotel at like 2 a.m. And thank goodness I had about an hour of a podcast to listen to. Yeah. It kept me going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. All the way back to our playing days, definitely a lot of people don't understand how how much that travel. I mean, it's one thing when you're going on vacation and it stinks when travel kind of goes wrong. But when you're doing it, you know, just week in and week out and stuff happens and it's your livelihood, it's hard to just, you know, just be to be okay with it and not get you know frustrated with it and and you know when your clubs don't show up or you you're driving in the middle of the night and all those things um definitely teaches you how to just learn to learn to deal with it and kind of go with it and listen to podcasts while you're driving that can keep you awake and hopefully entertain like this one's doing for everybody out there (laughs) who's listening for this one but with that I know um I know we've been talking which I knew if we got on here started chatting we would probably um talk for a while but like I said, I know you were super busy and I so appreciate you jumping on. Um, I do have to do my final kind of wrap up, which is, you know, I said, this is called the tap into college golf podcast and always just like to know what a college coach would tell a player who's sitting there on that last hole. That's got a, you know, not just a tap in necessarily, but maybe a three foot putt to win a big tournament or some kind of national championship. And and you're there with them, or maybe you've been walking up the fairway with them or, um, you know, what it may be going in the day, you need, they might have that and you've discussed it. Um, what, you know, from a coach perspective, what is, what's your advice? How do you handle that? If you have a player that's in that position, um, what do you tell them or, or just advice in general for a player who might be in that position, um, for that, you know, just handshake and knee shaking kind of tap in to win a big tournament. Yeah, there probably wouldn't be a ton of conversation going on. It'd be um, maybe a lot of thoughts in my head swirling around of, oh, I better say the right thing. But at that point, I think it's, you know, it might, if there was an exchange of words, it'd be, hey, trust your training. You know, that's why you do this. That's why you do what you do at home. So you can, uh, you can trust the process now. So it'd be, it'd be much more about, yeah, trust your training and, and you'll, you do all that dirty work in the dark so you can shine in the light. But I, I wouldn't even probably verbalize all that. That's, yeah, that's to the point where it's, you know, it's so instilled in them and they're, they're ready to go and they put themselves in that position um, to, to just 
thrive in that environment. And that's what we try to do day in and day out. So um, it'd be probably a, a more of a quiet moment, but just um, if I had to say words, it'd be trust your training. I like it. Yeah. Sometimes if you say things, it just adds even more pressure because they may not even be thinking that much about it. So then if That's you right. iterate <laughs> it, that then all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay, this really is a big deal. Oh, might not be oh I do need and to make this. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Yeah. And I think it's a little bit of play. I'm sure I had a couple of coaches have had some different scenarios. I'm sure different players, probably you might do something different for a different player. And I think that's a big part mm-hmm. of being a, a good coach is knowing which ones might need to hear something and which ones don't. Um, so I'm sure that's a little bit specific to situations, but I do like that. Um, you know, sometimes you just keep it quiet because the, the more you talk about it, the more you kind of acknowledge it. And, and maybe sometimes that's uh, going to do more harm than good. Yeah, and I think when you know when players are at their best, when when you're at your highest level of, of golf, you know if you really look back and thought about my best rounds of golf, things were usually slower, things were quieter, um, and time yeah. just seemed to move at its True. own pace. It was not a rush. So, you know, if ever you get kind of in the moment where it's not, or there's a lot of chatter, then it's kind of like, okay, let's take a deep breath, let's slow things down, let's walk a little slower. You look at Brooks Kepka, things like that um, that people are seeing. Um, from the outside, who knows how much chatter. I mean, a lot of people think they know what he's thinking. Um, but really just slowing your own physical movements down typically helps clear out the brain a little bit. That's true. Very true. And I think it's it's something I've tried to catch myself doing a little when I see a player have a really good first round um, and you want to, you know, congratulate and be like, great round. Like, you know, the more I started to realize, the more you do that and forget that hey they've got to play again tomorrow and the more they hear from everybody about great round like you want to say it but at the same time you kind of want to be like I don't want to just add more and more to their head let them finish you know let them not think that it's that big of a deal that's that's great but you know I kind of catch myself balancing that a little bit as well just you know they reach out to me and tell me it's great but sometimes I'll see it and I'm like all right I hope they're not gonna be mad that I didn't tell them good round but I just I can remember as a player the more you hear that the more you know people are watching and following it's just all of a sudden it's like, okay, all these other people are watching and, and the less that you have that sometimes until you finish, the better it can be a little bit, like you said, quieter and just a little less thoughts in your head can only help, you know, help you get through that day. And then you can kind of hear all that, I guess, once the actual tournament is, is over and not just the first round. Yeah. And, and this would be a good thing when you get Mick on there to ask him about, but we were in a coaches convention round table discussion and talking about some different things that coaches do and, you know, the typical team meeting that you have every night and they were asking him if he does that. And he made a good point that afternoon. Um, he's like, you know, I don't usually like to have a team meeting all the time because when we have a meeting, I want it to have a purpose. Yeah. And I don't always stand on, on one hole because I don't want them to think that, Oh, this is the hard hole. This, this is where yeah, coach is going to yeah. be waiting for us. That's so true, it kind of makes yes. you, you know, evaluate, where you're helping players. I typically have been walking with players um, for the full 18 holes a lot more than I had Um, just helps you get to know them. So, I mean, that'd be a good, good question to ask Mick though, when you get on there and and have him discuss what, what he does. Yes. And for those who we've referred to Mick, I know a lot of you probably um, who followed me or whatever, know my coach who's Mick Potter is at, uh, at university of Alabama, who is at Furman. So for those of you who've heard us, talk about Mick out there and wondering who Mick is. I know we've thrown around a few names of some coaches, first names, and I know most of the listeners all know him as, you know, Coach Strom or Coach Potter or whatever, but um, do hope to have him on sometime soon. I need to talk to him because um, that one will definitely be a very interesting. You should do a father-son combo, actually. 
True. Yes. Get Ryan on there as well. There at uh, Wake good. Forest. Yeah. Yeah. I might yeah. have to figure out time there together and sit down and make them. Cause Ryan was in school when I was in school too. So he got to see me as a player <laughs> and I don't know though. I might really get regret that. People <laughs> might, might find out way too much about me. That, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty open and honest about my past and, and how I was, but I don't know. That one might get a little, um, I might get some darts thrown at A little me. too personal. Come on. Let's, let's I be know. vulnerable. I know. <laughs> All right. Well, I have really enjoyed just catching up with you. I know um, big transition for you and, and I really appreciate you jumping on and, and chatting with me. And, and I hope all the listeners out there have enjoyed some of the insight. Like I said, just a very unique time to be able to catch a coach who's in, you know, in transition. And, and I know you do so much to, to study and learn and become a better coach and, and just person and, and mentor and all that. I um, enjoy seeing, you know, I know we talk about different books and those kinds of things and um, I know you're always doing a lot, which is just awesome. And, and I've just enjoyed, um, you know, learning from you as well and just seeing your career and everything. So I really appreciate you jumping on and, and chatting with me for a little while and best of luck getting settled in. And I'm so excited to follow what you're going to do with the program there and, and how that goes. Just super excited for you. And, and like I said, I hope the listeners out there, um, you know, enjoyed this insight and, and got a little perspective on those coach changes and, and what, what that takes from the, the coach's side of things and understanding that a little bit. So thanks again for joining. And thank you, Brandy. I, you know, I just want to take a second to acknowledge you as well. I think, you know, a lot of people get lost in that transition of how to find a college uh, program and, and what to do. And, and you've just done a tremendous job of kind of opening people's eyes to the opportunities that are out there. They don't always have to be big time programs. There's a, there's a place for everyone to be able to play college golf that has that desire and that ability. And um, just what you've done for junior golf and, and how you're impacting those young lives and they're in a better place having known you. Um, and I just, I think you just need to be acknowledged for that. And, and the work you're doing is, is, does not go unnoticed by, by the college coaches. So thank you. Well, I definitely appreciate that. And like I said, that's a big part of what I, why I wanted to do this was to, to give you all as coaches a voice because I do appreciate the relationships with the coaches and have definitely tried to work hard to earn that respect. And, and it's not always easy and things don't always go as, as you plan. Like I said, when you get players that make their commitment without even talking to you. Sorry, that one kind of came up early. I'm still a little steaming on that one. Um, but, you know doesn't always go, but I do appreciate that. And again, I, I really appreciate you jumping on with me and, and like I said, best of luck with your transition and, and selling the house and buying a house and getting settled in and making new friends and all that good stuff there. Um, so thanks again for joining and I will catch everybody on the next episode of tap into college golf. Thank you for joining me on this episode of tap into college golf. For more information, you can visit www.brandyjacksongolf.com. That's Brandy with an I. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at bjacksongolf. See you next time.